0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Sam Cassatt is the Chief Strategy Officer at Consensus. In this conversation, we discuss the history of Consensus, Sam's perspective on foreign governments' views of liquid crypto, why Maker is so interesting, and the current scalability conversation around Ethereum. This conversation was a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoyed nearly as much as I did. Before we get started, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, The Grove. As many of you know, branding and online presence is crucial to the crypto space. With so many damn scams out there, it's tough to tell who's legit. The Grove, however, is a full-service creative and design agency that will help you amplify your brand with the perfect website, logo, collateral, or custom design project. Branding isn't just about looking pretty though. Dot, 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 like me. The Grove understands it's about driving revenue. If you want to check out what they're doing, you can go to thegrove.co backslash pomp. Again, that's thegrove.co, not.com. Co, new age stuff. Thegrove.co backslash pomp. Let's crash their servers and light up the webpage. Let me know when you do it, and I'll shoot you some fire emojis on Twitter. Thegrove.co slash pomp. All right, guys, I'm here with Sam. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about and uh, we're gonna try to get this done in 50 minutes. You ready? ready. sounds All right. good. Awesome, thanks for coming. Thank you, it's great. Great to be here. What? Uh, what's your background?
1: So I'm a computer scientist and a neuroscientist, I guess, by background. I'm also an entrepreneur. Uh, A long time ago, I was doing research, uh, Johns Hopkins, in cognitive science and like vision and trying to figure out the human brain and the nature of reality based on neuroscience, I guess. And I realized as the financial crisis was happening that I didn't know anything about uh, what money was. So I got really into money, uh, the definition of money, and joined up with some nerds and made some... Uh, some paper currencies in Baltimore called the Baltimore B-Note. All right, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> you, What year is this? Uh, 2008-ish. Yeah. All right, so not
0: Satoshi, but in 2008, yep. you created a paper-based currency that was used in just Baltimore or aspirations to go... Larger than that,
1: it, it was intended to be local. It was okay. basically a discount to the dollar in that region, and sometimes it stretched into Pennsylvania. It's still still around, actually. But the idea was to sort of close the supply loops inside of Baltimore and act like a loyalty point system there. But it was kind of just an experiment for me to learn about monetary theory. But that same crew of people is how i got into bitcoin and uh it's permeated my life Sh- shocking that the people created their own <laughs> currency ended up
0: with bitcoin <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so so you do that and then when um, when do you or, or well hold on let's go into because uh, then you worked at a couple startups right yeah. And,
1: and yeah so so back then i was uh a scientist, basically, I was doing applied science stuff. Did some some DOD work. I did some stuff for like Lamborghini, building uh, biosensors, artificial intelligence, stuff like that. Um, and followed this whole crypto world. Didn't really know what to do with it. Ended up being CTO of a different company called Atmosphere. As I was getting into the the startup scene, I realized that service business models aren't that great. Uh, but you know, I I, I co-founded a, an applied science company before that. Ended up. Being CTO of this company, right, uh, right during that company is when Ethereum got invented, and I followed Bitcoin the whole time, uh, but I didn't really want to make a wallet or an exchange or something. You know, I didn't really see a startup business model I wanted in that. But then I met Joe Lubin, uh, heard about the the white paper of Ethereum, like exactly at the same time, and it just just clicked that it was a decentralized virtual machine that would allow uh, programmable money, allow basically decentralized. Any application you can think of, and it clicked for me immediately, and I knew I had to do something with it. All
0: right. So, when do you find out? Like, when does somebody tell
1: you about Ethereum? Uh, it was Joe Lubin. So, in, oh, so Joe in, told you? Yeah. So it was okay. made, So I had heard about this thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone from my Bitcoin friend said this is the coolest thing ever. Like you got to mm-hmm. learn about it, but like I hadn't read the white paper. Uh, everyone that tried to explain mm-hmm. it to me, I was like, "What the hell are you talking about? Doesn't doesn't make any sense." Mm-hmm. Um, and so I heard there was this thing, Ethereum. Go to this meetup, and 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 you'll hear what it is. And it was it was Joe and me and maybe 15, 20 other people, and Joe told me what it was, clicked immediately. And uh, I walked across Manhattan, I remember, just in, in a altered state of consciousness, realizing that the world was about to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and shortly after that, joined up with him to help build consensus. Got it. And so many people, I think, have heard of
0: Joe, but they don't know him, they've never met him, etc. Just give people, like, why did you believe him? Right. Like, what, what was kind of the what was kind of the um, the reaction that you had to him and now knowing him really well? Right. That that, um, um, you know, left you walking across Manhattan, <laughs>
1: figuring out what life is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Joe, you know, Joe's a computer scientist for one. And mm-hmm. so also being a computer scientist, uh, you can kind of cut through the shit of a whole set of paragraphs in, in, in one sentence. Decentralized virtual machine. That immediately I got it, and just from the level of discourse that was happening in that initial meeting of of just decentralization, removing intermediaries, uh, the fact that it behaves like Bitcoin, but it also has the ability to program behavior on top of it, just that that concept resonated uh, so strongly for me. And Joe's ability to articulate that, I could tell he really believed it. Mm-hmm. I also I also knew that you know Joe basically had come out of retirement to do this right he was he was chilling out in jamaica uh and he doesn't need to go have a job uh Mm -hmm. but but he was having the conviction to do this so uh we immediately we also vibed on on neuroscience actually joe's also a neuroscientist by background uh and so what's up with the uh, computer science neuroscientists over in brooklyn (laughs) man what are you guys doing (laughs) i don't know man i think what you know i think i think we share um a desire to figure out how the world works and how the human mind works, and I, I view I view Ethereum, frankly, and I view blockchain as a way to think about the extension of human cognition, and that's really what I was into it in from the beginning. Is is that like this is the expression of the human mind as is money, right? And the way to the extent that the banking industry and the central banking industry, etc. Uh, is in control of the way new money gets issued and created and the way it behaves and the way we structure financial products. That, that determines the course of people's lives, right? That you have, a, you have a, a mortgage. You spend your whole life paying that mortgage back. Uh, the structure of how you do that and why you do that and how that integrates into your life is determined by uh, some other people, not most people. And that determines how humans behave in mass. So the same things that I think make a neuroscientist interested in human behavior could also make them interested in money and monetary theory. And that's that's where I was coming from. And I think partially that's where Joe's coming from too. That's super
0: cool. I really like that, uh, the way you described that. All right. So what is consensus? Right. So and, and we maybe let's start with what it is and then we can get into uh,
1: you know, some of the early days and, and what that was like. So currently, consensus obviously is a lot of things, right? <laughs> uh, so consensus, we say there are a few pillars to consensus, right? There's there's the, the venture studio, which we call consensus labs, and that's where we we build, we fund, we cause synergies between all these portfolio companies. A lot of you heard of like MetaMask, Truffle, and Fura, you know, Collido etc. Uh, so there's that part of the company. Uh, I can go into the details of why it's structured that way later. Uh, there's Consensus Ventures, uh, where we, you know, we have a typical looking venture fund. Um, we also do some balance sheet investing as well. You've probably seen our investments in like Drum G, for instance, uh, you know, projects like that pretty recently. We have Consensus Solutions, which is simultaneously a consulting organization and also a digital venturing organization. So uh, things like Comgo, things like the AMD partnership that we recently announced. Um, Those are deals where we basically partner with another company or a set of other companies in the case of like Comgo, for instance, and we being blockchain tech experts build out the tech platform. We have some equity or ownership of that thing. And, you know, it's basically a joint venture between us and, and some other experts in a certain field or something, right? So we've got that. We have Consensus Academy as well. Uh, we have a social impact arm as well, where, where we do projects that we think benefit the world. Um, and you know, a few other smaller services. But basically, you know, we're in the business of deploying capital, either in a very hands-on way or, or, in a, or in a distant venture capital kind of way. And we're in the business of helping other companies and partnerships realize the power of blockchain technology. So lots of different moving pieces, but that, that's our, our goal set. And what was it like in the early days?
0: Right. Because I've heard plenty right now. Obviously, I know a couple of people who have been there and and it feels a little bit like a, like a revolution, right? <laughs> like, a, hey, we're, we believe something
1: in the world that a high majority of other people don't believe. And if we work together, we can go build this. Yeah. Yeah. So late 2014, early 2015, you know, it was a bunch of bunch of crazy people in a, in a room, a bunch of crazy smart people in a room that I think saw this thing before everyone else. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I can analogize it to, you know, the people who saw that oil and steel before everything else. Uh, it, you know, it, it felt like that. It felt like we know something that the rest of the world doesn't know yet. Uh, and some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life were collected there. And in the very early days of consensus, there weren't there weren't really the tools to go get things to market really quickly right there was mm-hmm. bitcoin there's stuff built around bitcoin but if you analogize it to the internet people people like to say you know people make up all kinds of numbers like we're 94 95 right now but i would say in the very beginning kind of like 91 right where http the protocol had been invented we knew that this http thing would be awesome but we don't have a browser. We don't have a web server. We certainly don't have AWS and load balancers Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So, you know, in, in 91, if I wanted to build Snapchat, I would have had to build all those things, right? Mm -hmm. I would have been very capital intensive. It would have been not something that a typical venture investor wanted to invest in. Right. So, so, but yet at the same time we saw, you know, we saw Snapchat, we saw Facebook, we saw, we saw the all the powerful things that could be built on this that are are now being built and people understand the power of. So how do you build that thing, right? How how do you build the entire ecosystem at once was really the question we set out to solve. And so if we had just made a fund, it would have been too early, right? We would have just been handing capital to people that would have had to reproduce each other's work. And if we had just made one company, uh, we thought that was ill-advised, right? Because, how many people set out to build 50 things at once and are successful in a startup company? Not not many I know of. So the difference is, that, you, know, you strike the difference, and we decided to build a company that builds companies and put everyone under one roof, get them to exchange ideas, get them to rapidly iterate on things. And so in the early days, we were basically like, you know, there are only a handful of people in the world who even understand how to build a, a, an application on Ethereum. So let's start building them. Let's start building games. Let's start building loan platforms. Let's start building prediction markets. And let's use that to motivate um, Infura and MetaMask and Truffle, all those things that now everyone else in the Ethereum community used uh, uses we built because we needed them to build the vision of what we were trying to do. So we said, let's build all that stuff. We'll cut it up into, into different companies and projects later for every successful startup that you come up, you you see come out of, um, consensus, there were a bunch of things that, that didn't work or, or that, Mm -hmm. you know, were an idea that, uh, some engineers explored for a little bit, but, but didn't turn into a company. But, um, that was the sort of capitally efficient, um, way to seed an entire ecosystem that, that we designed. So lots of people working on the next generation of stuff is how it felt in the early days. In those days,
0: uh, employees were getting paid in fiat or Ethereum. <laughs> um,
1: Bitcoin actually a lot really yeah okay um, but but some you know some people wanted to be paid in normal uh, dollars and things like but sa- yeah. like a, like <laughs> a sane people money right at the time <laughs> yeah I think you know some <laughs> Your <but> landlords <laughs>
0: weren't taking Bitcoin yet
1: <laughs> no I, I you know I actually tried and and none of them none of them really really would do it uh, but no in the early days uh, I remember when I first joined up with Joe uh, I I said you know let's 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 start this like you know and. I didn't have a hiring process or something, you know, it was just sort of me and Joe hanging out in a room and uh, he was like, I'll just send you some bitcoins. Good. Sure. (laughs) So uh, I think a lot of the early, early days, people like bitcoins as good as a dollar, if not better to them.
0: Yep. And and so as you guys start this, um, did you start out with all of the kind of different you know, bodies of work, right? So the Venture Studio and the fund and all that. Or was there a progression as to, hey, let's start building first, right? that you just described, and then, okay, hey, maybe actually now there's enough people in the ecosystem that we could fund other companies. Like, I'm guessing it's a progr- progression, but you tell me.
1: Yeah, certainly a progression. Uh, when when we started, uh, the way Consensus got put together was really, there were a few companies like, like Gnosis, for instance, mm-hmm. was out there. Um, there were some, some other smaller teams that were already kind of working on something and and we just sort of brought them into the fold of consensus and started paying them and, you know, making some agreements with them about how we, we, we would collaborate. Um, and, you know, like I said, in the very early days, uh, Joe and I sat down and said, you know, should, what should this be on paper, right? Should this be a fund? Should this be a company? Should it be something in between? And, and we ended up deciding that it should be a company for, for the reason that, it seemed too early that you know there weren't there weren't mature entrepreneurs. Uh, everyone would have had to duplicate each other's work. It would have been an inefficient use of capital to really just make it pure fun. And we wanted to be more hands on and let people collaborate mm-hmm. and not worry about their intellectual property getting traded back and forth, et cetera. So, um, yeah. So those early days, uh, it was really just move as fast as possible. And then as things have matured, you know, it didn't even in twenty fifteen. 2016, especially if you go Google Ethereum and you Google blockchain applications, it didn't take very long to find us. So, governments, Fortune 500 companies, entities like that started approaching us and asking us for help. And at first, we said, You know, I'm not that interested in helping you. I'm trying to, you know, I I want to, but I'm trying to make companies here. I'm not going to consult for you. But eventually, you know, in my mind, we realized and we hired the right kind of people to basically build a consulting organization that can take our infrastructure tools like, like uh, you know, like Infura, et cetera, uh, take all of the things we've built for ourselves, port that over and build solutions for different companies and governments. And uh, and that, that organization just become increasingly professional and, and more and more so. And then, you know, eventually uh, the market has matured to a point where it does make sense to hand capital to a mature entrepreneur and not be as hands-on and that's the motivation for us having a fund and, and doing some balance sheet investments as well. So, you know, over time, it's just as the market's matured, we've hired the right people and and adapted to to it. But, yeah, we're, we're a really adaptable organization. We do all kinds of weird stuff and whatever makes sense and whatever will get things over the line. So we, we just acquire the right expertise and perform in whatever way we think the market needs.
0: What do you... There's plenty of people who are huge fans, right? And I think it it speaks for itself just how many people are involved, right? How much the ecosystem has been built out, and a huge piece of it is uh, attributable to the work you guys did. But there's also people who, you know, think you guys are crazy and, you know, that this is never going to work type (laughs) stuff, right? (laughs) Well, I was going to say, what's the one detraction that people would have that you would agree with? Is there one? It's an interesting
1: question. Um, I think. if I had to detract from consensus, it's, it's probably that we're early. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fair. You know, uh, this this whole world is yet to be uh, fully realized. And, you know, sometimes it takes a while for a technology to reach maturity. Um, and I think we all see it and we see how important it is. And I, and I think you do, too. And, and that's why we're here. Um, and so I think it'll be a while before the average consumer... Has something in their pocket that that is using blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not going to be that. Long. It's already, it's already the case now that you know industry players, financial companies, etc., are starting to use it. But um, but we've you know we we've, we've got a long road and a lot of infrastructure to build and a lot of a um, lot of roads to pave even. And so, um, if I were building a company right now, I think it would be a hell of a lot easier than us building it four years ago. So that's, that's probably a valid criticism.
0: Okay, I think that's definitely fair. Let's talk about some of the projects that you guys, uh, or the work you guys have done. Um, obviously, you guys have done a ton in Dubai, so maybe just give us an overview, kind of what you guys have done, what you're doing now, and, and maybe where that's going.
1: Yeah, so uh, lots of governments see applications of, of blockchain technology, things like property rights, things like uh, voting, things like identity systems uh, are pretty important to them. So. Uh, a couple of years ago, Dubai uh, and the Dubai Future Foundation basically said they want to build um, something having to do with blockchain, right? And they have this great program where they invite you to Dubai. You meet up with Dubai Holding, which is their sovereign wealth uh, group. Uh, a bunch of other companies in Dubai basically try to see what you can do to get Dubai to the to the future, because mm-hmm. that's very much their their vibe and what they're trying to accomplish is they, they want to be a next generation city and a next generation society. And so we, along with IBM, were named through that process uh, the official blockchain advisors of Dubai, and we built an office there. We started working with their uh dubai property group is uh, our first project as well as some of the other government offices through smart dubai which runs all their basically their smart city initiative oversees all their their government services and just looking one by one to see what we can blockchainify uh so to say and uh the first thing we identified was their property registries right because a, a piece of property gets it gets essentially granted to a development organization. That thing goes through 20 different government offices to sign off on the plan, uh, which usually results in literally hundreds of millions of kilometers being driven or pieces of paper being driven around Dubai per year, uh, and then uh, and then eventually ends up in the ownership of an individual. And obviously, right now, I think to, to people listening to this that are into blockchain, they know that asset digitization and you know custody of assets and and the the um, cryptographic signing of of assets is a, a pretty strong aspect of blockchain and they saw that back then that like instead of having a piece of property that's represented by a piece of paper that goes to 20 different offices and then ends up with 50 other pieces of paper and you buy it instead why don't we have a digital representation of that why don't we have the land titling and registry system uh not only on blockchain like like factum or something but actually a complete application that manages that whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started building that out for them. Um, and then, you know, as time goes on, we're just going through their whole government suite of services, basically, and, and blockchainifying it.
0: Uh, I, I joke a lot that uh, blockchain is just an assault on paper. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of paper in government. So <laughs> makes yeah. sense
1: that's why people are looking there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, pieces of paper are not only bulky and need to be moved around, but, but insecure, right. And, and, uh, you, you can't, you can't fly with a million pages of something and, you know, you can steal a million pieces of a hundred dollar bills, you know, um, there are a lot of advantages over it for, for sure. Um, all right. So let's move somewhere else in the world. Uh, Singapore,
0: you guys have done some work with uh, some monetary organizations there and stuff.
1: Yeah, so the Monetary Authority of Singapore is an organization that we've we've done some work with, and you know, basically just worked on some some trading infrastructure for them. Um, you know, I think the work that we did there uh, you can you can view as porting uh, more fully into something that that we've done recently called Comgo, uh, and that's us, Societe Generale, uh, City, but maybe about ten partners actually. That's a commodities. Uh, trading and trade finance platform than uh, we recently started working on. I think that that's really the full realization of that. Um, And so what that'll allow you to do is do, at first, KYC and letters of credit. Um, But eventually, you could view that as solving a lot of the, again, paper inefficiencies, but of of trade finance and allowing allowing commodities and and trade finance in general to just be extremely efficient. and it's an open platform so that anyone who wants to plug into it can uh, i think that's really the future less so than a closed system that just makes something one percent or five percent more mm-hmm. efficient an open platform that allows anyone in the world who wants to participate in trade finance to plug into it permissionlessly um that's that's the direction we're going
0: got it um and then you've created some uh, identification work in uh zoog I yeah talk about that
1: yeah so zoog uh, for people who don't know, ZOOG is a, a canton in Switzerland, it's kind of like a state in the United States, um, and ZOOG is also the place where Crypto Valley is. Um, you know, a lot of companies are structured there, and the government there is really sophisticated in, in their understanding of blockchain, and they have been for a while. And so our platform, Uport, which is our identity management system on, on Ethereum, is now coupled with their official government identity system. So when you go get a, uh, a, an ID card uh, for a citizen in ZOOG, you simultaneously get a u-port id that's cryptographically linked to your id card and you can use that to access government services including voting actually and i think a few months ago they did some of their first votes uh on that platform um which in swiss society is actually really important to them their ability to directly vote on decisions uh is one is a unique aspect i think of swiss culture and uh they're happy to support that. And I think the eventual goal is we'll keep adding things to that, you know, mm-hmm. like just like in in uh, in Sweden, you know, you have a cryptographic ID that lets you access all your different banks. Uh, the vision there is let's build a dynamic identity infrastructure that is more secure than it could normally be uh, based on blockchain that will let every government service eventually be plugged into.
0: Got it. So... We just kind of went around uh, outside the United States, right, Dubai, uh, Singapore, and uh, Zug. Um What is your perspective on those foreign governments or jurisdictions uh, view on liquid crypto, right? So everything you're talking about is enterprise blockchain or uh, building kind of more applications of the blockchain technology to solve problems, right? Bitcoin, right, as digital money, Ethereum, you know, the, the actual liquid assets. Are they positive, negative, agnostic? Think that everyone's a snake oil salesman? Kind of. <laughs> where, where do they come out on it?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't want to speak for any of the governments, so, you know, yeah, don't, yeah. Just,
0: don't. <laughs> just, just. And what I'm really looking for is like general sentiment, right? Do you think that most of them are uh, intrigued or do you think they think that's all completely, you know, Garbage and it's kind of the you know not Bitcoin but blockchain type stuff.
1: Yeah, um, I think they are intrigued, um, neutral to positive in 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 okay. my experience. Um, Switzerland was one of the first places, and Switzerland obviously has a history of being pretty forward thinking and and uh, privacy oriented in in their banking. Money and privacy in <laughs>
0: Switzerland's been uh, been a hot topic for them for a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, and so. So, you know, the Ethereum Foundation is structured mm-hmm. in Switzerland. And the reason they were is, one of the reasons they were is because the government there was able to understand that you could treat Ethereum as a currency even before it mm-hmm. was it was put out. And, you know, this is a time when most governments had no idea. Mm-hmm. They had no clue what we were talking about. And um, they were able to go so far as to actually make, a you know, a, an agreement with them that they would treat Ether even before Ethereum had been launched uh, as as a currency. Wow, um, and so that represents, I think, a pretty forward looking view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in places like Dubai and places like Singapore, uh, I think they want to be they want to be societies that that advance to the next level pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Dubai uh, Dubai is looking for ways to make sure that they're uh, they're leading the next wave of economic uh, evolution of our planet. Uh, that's why you know you see such new stuff. Years ago, they were talking about flying taxis. You know, years ago they're talking about about blockchain and. Um, you know they're much more apt to move on on things uh, quickly than than some other societies that are that are a little slower and that you know we already got it figured out so we don't want to mess it up is the attitude in in some maybe Western democracies yeah. um, whereas whereas a place that um, wants to move quickly I think they're very open to the the liquid crypto aspect of it um, and I think central banks as well uh, obviously. There was a report uh, put out by Bank of International Settlements, I believe, a few days ago about how something like 70% of central banks are considering this. So I think, you know, I think uh, there's a general attitude in in governments that we need to do something about this. We need to have an approach, uh, whether, you know, I don't think the, you know, the U.S., for instance, is going to be the first central bank to issue a cryptocurrency. But uh, at the same time, I think. Governments would be remiss. They know that they would be remiss not to consider how they can integrate this into their existing infrastructure. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's fair. Um, all right. Let's talk about Ethereum. Um, we will call out to so all of the, uh, the the trolls on Twitter. No. Yes, he, <laughs> he is biased. <laughs> we know. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, seriously. What? Where is Ethereum today, right? In in your mind, kind of, what are the pros and cons, or or maybe not even cons, just what are the the things that are going well and what are the things that are challenges that need to be resolved going forward?
1: Sure, so going back to like 2014, when I talked to people about Ethereum, most people said, oh, that's so ambitious, that's crazy, like it's never even gonna work, right? Mm -hmm. And every year, you know, well, you know, you're not gonna be able to launch it, and then, you know, the next year is well no one's gonna be able to develop any applications mm-hmm. and then well the applications don't have any users and that you know so the, the criticisms keep moving and the, the goal posts keep moving and we keep keep hitting the goals um but you know i think ethereum is at a place where you can already do basic functionality that supplants existing parts of the financial system right make or die Wild, wild
0: crazy, wild, crazy, right? Listen, shout out to Rick Burton and the Balance team. <laughs> I went over there uh, recently, and they sat me down. And they walked me through this whole thing. I was blown away.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You know, I I, I basically have collateralized loans with no human beings necessary. Uh, so okay, so so this is
0: actually good. So maybe let's talk about what could actually be done applying Ethereum and, and the functionality to it. Let's use Maker die as a, as an example. Um, maybe first describe just what is Maker's you know vision and, and kind of Maker Die, and then we can get into the CDPs and stuff.
1: Sure. So, so Maker basically it's a platform. You know, the CDPs are a are, a, are a, uh, the name. It's collateralized debt position on there. It's basically an Ethereum smart contract. It exists today. You, uh, it's it, it has a complementary stablecoin called Die that represents a dollar, right? And so the basic idea is I have you know, I, I want a loan for, you know, a million dollars. I forget what the ratio is. I think it's 1.5x, 2x. Um, so I can put $2 million in a smart contract. It spits out a million dollars of DAI, right? And as as the price of Ethereum fluctuates, that contract automatically rebalances itself such that there's always the right amount of collateral. It's in a certain range. So Ethereum price goes down. You need to put a little bit more. Ethereum price goes up, you, you can take a little bit more, die out, essentially. And so you've got a stablecoin and you've got a collateralized debt position. And, you know, essentially you're doing something that normally takes weeks of conversations and AML KYC and going to banker's offices and signing things uh, to get a, you know, to get a million dollar loan, uh, even if, even if it's collateralized. Now I can do it in a smart contract in a few seconds, mm-hmm. um, and so that's,
0: that's basically. And it. the part that's pretty crazy about this is in a normal lending scenario, the lender would have to be a person that would then have to get information from the borrower or information on the asset they're lending against. They would have to have some ability to recover and liquidate the collateral, right? The car loan yep. or whatever. Yep. Uh, and then there's a lot of cost that comes from issuing the loan, managing the loan, you know, recouping the loan, et cetera. In this scenario, you're putting up an over collateral, you know, you're putting up more collateral than you're taking on the loan. So there's a whole host of the complexities that are reduced and you're doing it in automated fashion. Because right? yep. the way, here, here's the, and I'd love to hear your thought about this. So MakerDAO die is a perfect example of, I think of blockchain as simply the foundation for all of the automation that everyone's waiting for right? Yep. It is, we're going to tokenize all the stocks, bonds, currencies, and commodities, right? It is the ability for smart contracts to execute things without human intervention. Yep. This is all the foundational pieces you need for that automation. And it looks like these CDPs are one of the first applications of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, really clear example. And, and you combine that with, we have a platform called open law. Okay. What's which, that? So it's created by uh, a, a really great legal team. Um, Uh, out of of, uh, Cardozo Law School Uh, and so basically it is a simultaneous English prose contract that is a legally enforceable contract that is connected to a smart contract deployed to Ethereum. So that could be something like uh, say I hire an employee and once a month their equity vests you know 1% or something like that. Mm -hmm. So instead of a lawyer having to compute that, and then keep a record of the, in the share register of who has what shares, et cetera, and then actually giving them the shares, or, you know, and then you IPO the company, and then you know, and then they have the shares somehow. They need to get onto the stock exchange, whatever. Instead, uh, it is a smart contract that once a month sends them some tokens that represent a share to them, and that's it. Um, we actually use that in our Ujo music platform as well to manage music rights. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could imagine. What normally requires law firms and court systems and accountants and lawyers to enact, just like just like this uh, this loan that we're talking about, um, instead you have a legally enforceable contract with all the right pros and fallback conditions and whatever that also automatically executes a, of you know pretty arbitrary complexity. So I think that that's certainly the future. That's where we're going.
0: Yeah, it, it is. Um it's pretty wild. So let's say that this all happens, right? And I, we're obviously talking about it, so we, we believe. Um, what is the reaction or the possible options that the legacy financial system has? Do they jump on board or do they get completely disrupted? What's more probable?
1: <laughs> uh, it's an interesting question. Well, you know, I like to say it's not yeah. binary, right? But but kind of, yeah. what's your take on that? I mean, you look at the the logo of Wells Fargo. You know, it's a it's a horse. With a carriage, right? And that carriage was carrying gold. Uh, uh, I, did, I did not know that. That is a dangerous, <laughs> dangerous thing for me to tweet. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, Wells Fargo's obviously advanced their business model beyond carrying gold in carriages. Um, and financial institutions are full of smart people that will continue to adapt, and I hope that they do. Um, in the beginning of Consensus, I was honestly afraid that we would get fierce pushback from the legacy financial system and i thought that they would make huge problems for us turns out um you know if you look at the members of the enterprise ethereum alliance for instance most of the major banks are using ethereum right now Mm -hmm. um and because they realize that better to be disrupted you know better to disrupt yourself than be disrupted Mm -hmm. and so i see you know especially you know the like innovators and and you know young people in banks at first you know at first it was the sort of innovation departments and and now it's now it's CIOs and 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 you know the more senior people that are finally like oh, okay yeah I see I see how this could completely disrupt our whole business model mm-hmm. um, finally getting on board so I think you know big institutions big ships are slow to steer and probably some of them will fail um, but I, you know in the big medium term picture to long term picture I think. You know the next Goldman Sachs, and, and the next, you know, maybe decentralized version of Goldman Sachs has has yet to be built, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think um, I, I think there are going to be kids, you know, with a laptop in Africa. That make up something that no one in in you know we're in, we're in Manhattan right now. I don't think anyone in Manhattan is going to even think of, mm-hmm. and they don't even know that it violates some banking regulation in London or whatever. And 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 they're and not going to care. And they don't care at all because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And they're going to deploy that thing, uh, and then people are going to start using it, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's CDPs on, on Maker uh, or it's something else that I can't think of because I'm too old and and dumb that you know a 14 year old is going to make up. Um, I think that's going to be wildly different. Than our existing financial reality and i don't i I think it's going to happen quickly uh Mm. and and people aren't going to be prepared but at the same time you know we're helping financial institutions lots of companies are helping financial institutions uh jp morgan has been really uh, on the forefront despite what mr diamond may say um you know they've, they've been working on quorum which is a privacy layer for ethereum uh you know they're uh they've been pushing pretty hard and I, I, I see some real innovation coming out of existing institutions.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it is funny because um, there's some institutions that don't want to be associated with this stuff at all. There's yep. some that actually think there's a benefit to being associated, right? They want to try to own the, the narrative. Uh, but I don't know a single institution that's doing nothing. And I don't know a single institution that said, we're not going to work on anything else other than this. Right? Everyone's kind of yep. in the middle. And they all have different reasons for choosing you know what they do. But your, your point about, you um, you know the next Goldman Sachs looks different right and, and probably has some stuff you know has something to do with this uh, Ben Horowitz recently was asked on a um, on a, in an interview um, you know about mobile phones and the internet and killer apps and all this stuff and he said you know the thing that people forget about mobile phones is that uh, it was actually worse in every single way than a PC except for a very small number of ways right and yep. it had GPS It had a a camera on it, right? It could fit in your pocket, like, you know, things like that. But people also were saying, you know, it's less powerful. How the hell am I going to do? I I think his quote was like, you know, how the hell am I going to do my spreadsheet on that little ass screen? Right? (laughs) You know, that type of stuff. And so the, the reason why it's important is you couldn't build Uber or Lyft without the phone yeah right without the GPS and, and things like that you couldn't build you know the Instagrams and Snapchats of the world without the camera right and so you know it, it's um he brings it kind of full circle and he says you know what does a blockchain have that other computing powers don't have yep. he says trust right and, and I would almost take it a step further it has trust and the decentralization component is really important both for trust security you know a whole host of things and so when you think at the legacy financial institution, the first word that pops your head is not trust. <laughs> right? Like, yep. you know, we, we joke all the time, you know, long Bitcoin short the bankers. Yep. It's it's a you know play on words, but there is a lot of distrust. And so I wonder how much of your view on where some of this stuff goes is reliant on people continuing to trust institutions versus one thing I think a lot about is people are just going to trust machines more than humans. Yeah. Right. So the algorithms, the machines, like we've already, you know, Google yep. Maps, perfect example. You've already given up, right? You just hate that it's smarter than any human I <laughs> ask on the street. Yeah. Are there other things? You know, CDPs might be a great example where people trust the algorithms and the machine more than organizations.
1: Yeah. I think that's uh, one of the important reasons for decentralization. I, 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 okay. You know, explain a lot, that. A lot of people say the word decentralization and uh, you know as some kind of battle cry, but <laughs> I don't. I don't think a lot of people really understand why that's so important. And 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 it's for trust, right? It's because if no one controls it right if no one can get an outsized influence on the behavior of the system then i know the system is going to behave in the way that i think it's going to behave mm-hmm. right and this is why you know going back to ethereum's design for instance this is why vitalik considered like dpos right uh, mm-hmm. uh delegated proof of stake which is the underlying protocol of eos for instance and rejected it right because he felt that t- you know, 21 deciders 21 validators is not enough to be decentralized. It's it's not enough that if a state actor um, wanted to go tell them what to do uh, to censor a transaction, for instance, uh, that it that it wouldn't happen, right? Mm. And so, the degree to which you can trust is dependent upon the degree to which the system performs in the way that you think it will, um, and, and it requires decentralization. So, and I agree with you also on the point about trust that. All of the systems that financial institutions are part of and the, 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 the interfaces to them and the regulatory environments around them are all designed to produce trust. Right? Mm-hmm. The reason why I trust a bank more than a guy on the street, if I hand him a thousand dollars and say, keep this for me. The reason I trust a bank more is because if a bank doesn't do it, there's a whole bunch of legal systems that cost money, court systems, regulators, police forces, whatever. And that are going to go knock on their door and say, "Hey, you know, you're violating the law by not mm-hmm. holding that thousand dollars, right?" So, I'm paying for this giant societal machinery that enables that trust, and and the the shape of a financial institution, right? I'm you know I'm looking across the street at you know a, a financial institution like pro- you know how many floors of that building are for compliance, right? How many floors of the building are people whose only job it is to make sure that they implement the trust framework that's been mandated by our society.
0: Well, how many square feet are filled with paper,
1: <laughs> right? sure. <True. laughs> I could really uh, reduce the rent over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, if you can do the same stuff, because it's in a smart contract on a decentralized platform suddenly our whole society is a lot wealthier and happier mm-hmm. we can do stuff for cheaper and we can probably do stuff that you couldn't do before because right now those humans can only move at the speed of a piece of paper and and a and a phone call mm-hmm. whereas a smart contract can articulate itself you know fairly quickly
0: mm-hmm. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, the AMD partnership, because I think this is really fascinating, right? It it probably actually didn't get enough attention, right? It it got some press, but uh, maybe just talk a little bit about what that is and and, and why you guys are excited about uh, moving forward there.
1: Sure. So the project is called Web3 Cloud or Web Cloud with a three instead of an E. Um, And (laughs) this is is a partnership between us and AMD, uh, basically to produce the next generation of cloud infrastructure uh, to run things like Ethereum applications mm-hmm. on, right? And AMD is an interesting partner because they produce CPUs and GPUs, um, unlike, you know, Intel or NVIDIA or whatever. There's, they sort of sit across that, that boundary. Um, and then, you know, secondly, we believe that the, the architecture uh, and the workload of the web 3.0 is going to look a little bit different than the current architecture. And it, and it sort of dovetails with what we're doing with Pegasus. So Pegasus is our, uh, it's the name of our client um, for uh, Ethereum 2.0. And it's also uh, the, just the name of our, our team that works on that. But our client is different than all the other Ethereum clients in the sense that it is designed for our vision of there being, what I would call state transfer, you know, that's a computer science word, but you know, basically information can go between the public Ethereum network and private versions of an Ethereum network that have different characteristics and topologies, right? And so, you know, if you look at IBM's view of the world, right, the Hyperledger Fabric view of the world they're all about selling private blockchains. So me and five other banks or 20 other banks can all trade something with each other in this private version of a blockchain. And they would argue, some people who advocate that position would argue, you don't need a token, you don't need a Bitcoin or an ether or whatever. We don't need crypto economic guarantees because it's all inside this private network. I personally, and, and you know, to consensus to some extent, doesn't believe that's the full vision. You know, And I think you probably, Uh, Long Bitcoin. Uh, Don't believe that's the full answer either, right? The big picture is we create a fabric that connects the entire planet for permissionless financial behavior, right? With Mm -hmm. rules applied to it. Like I can write a maker CDP and I can have a financial institution use that or a guy on the street use that and I can make, you know, a thousand other things that look like financial products that all are just sitting there like a public good that people can plug into um, just like anyone can plug into the API of you know Amazon or, or Google or something, right? It's just sitting there, you just plug into it and you can use it for something. You can, you can compose it with other things and construct this new financial reality that just sits on this fabric of, of the internet that everyone has access to. At the same time, the security guarantees, the requirements for something like the public Ethereum network are different than say, uh, a social network, right? Mm-hmm. I, the, the security guarantees and the way Ethereum is designed, it's designed for me to be able to hit, you know, send on a billion-dollar transaction and not worry about whether mm-hmm. it's going to get there, right? And that's that's the level of security and network topology, et cetera, of, of what Ethereum is designed for. At the same time, say I'm a financial institution that has a whole bunch of stuff happening inside my firewall, with maybe with a couple partners or something. I don't necessarily want all that on the public Ethereum network. Or maybe I want... Uh, something I'm doing to farm out to a, uh, an Amazon Lambda instance, which is like an mm. on-demand computing instance, or maybe I want that to connect to a, uh, an on-demand storage instance that's sitting either on Amazon or in my own data center or whatever. What the Pegasus client is, and, and the Enterprise Ethereum spec that uh, EEA Enterprise Ethereum Alliance put out is, is it's a way for one sort of one Ethereum client to both connect to the public Ethereum network and also connect to private things that the enterprises are used to having in their data centers. Mm-hmm. So I can have different different guarantees of trust, right? Like a like on Facebook doesn't need to have the same trust as a billion dollar transaction. Mm-hmm. I can do it cheaper and faster by using different topologies. Um, you know, I don't need to store uh, my movie collection in the same way I store my account balance, et cetera. So different network topologies uh, can exist on on networks that are connected to like side chains of ethereum like loom network for instance Mm -hmm. and simultaneously connect to uh the next generation of ethereum which is 2.0 and so we we view supporting that infrastructure supporting that sort of state transfer between public and private blockchains as the big picture of where this whole architecture is going Mm -hmm. and our partnership with amd uh represents our our view that there's a necessity to support that infrastructurally it's
0: awesome what um what is the one or two uh largest misconceptions about ethereum
1: there are, there are a lot of misconceptions about ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> um i
0: i think prob- well, what's let's just talk about one. what what do you no. think the biggest one if you could clear one misconception about ethereum what would it be
1: the biggest one is is scalability right okay that's, that's, which is a huge conversation point right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's huge. It's, you know, probably the most important thing that we're trying to solve right now. Okay. Uh, Ethereum 2.0 is all about scalability. It's about some other things too. But, um, you know, what most people don't realize, though, is that there are a lot of technologies oh, yeah. that exist right now that already provide scalability for Ethereum applications. Right? Okay. So as I was saying before, you know, there are different different requirements of trust have different required network topologies, if that makes sense. So um, what I need to send a billion dollars to someone, I want to make sure that the network completely agrees on that, right? I, I don't want there to be any chance that that gets messed up. I want very high security guarantees. And so sending that on the main chain Ethereum um, is is the way to do that. And that's what Ethereum's designed to do. At the same time, if I want to send a like or I want to, you know, Move a character in a game or something. It doesn't need to be the same as as a billion dollar transaction. So, uh, the solution to that, and w- what has always been the solution to that, that I think most people just don't realize, is that there need to therefore be multiple layers of the stack of Ethereum. There mm-hmm. needs to be, you know, what some people call side chains, um, you know, or what we call L2. So L1 Ethereum is the main Ethereum. L2 are things like Loom Network or mm-hmm. things like Plasma. Where you know, I can already get many thousands of transactions per second on those topologies where I don't care about sending billions of dollars. Yep. Um, Ethereum 2.0 and you know, and even some of the, the changes happening right now, moving to proof of stake, et cetera, those are all designed to get main net Ethereum up to hundreds or even thousands of transactions per second. And, and that's that timeline is well on its way. A lot of it's proven, a lot of it's you know, on test nets, et cetera. Uh, so I think most people don't get into the details of where that is, and they don't realize how far that that uh, that work has already gone, even though it probably won't be on mainnet for a year or, or a little more. Um, but I think also people just don't realize that that is never intended for the like on Facebook. And you are always going to need these additional network layers in L2 or even L3, if you look at it. Uh, that allow people to have the characteristics they want, right? And so the the future vision that we see is a network of interconnected side chains, blockchains, even different things that aren't blockchains, maybe even, but are cryptographically guaranteed, that all plug into the main fabric of Ethereum mainnet. And right now, there's really there's really nothing else that even comes close in terms of its ability to have the same trust and security guarantees and performance. So that's, you know, maybe that'll bring out some trolls on, on Twitter, but. Uh, if you don't got trolls, you're not doing anything. <laughs> that's the best job. All right. So uh, before I finish up, I usually
0: uh, do some rapid fire questions. Um, other sure. than consensus, what's the most important company in crypto?
1: That's an interesting question. Uh, probably Coinbase. Why? Uh, because they are what most consumers see as the face of it. And if I were going to build. Um, the on-ramps for normal people, mm. I would start there. I'd start with really good UX, simple mm-hmm. enough for people to understand what's going on, simple enough and secure enough for them to have an identity on on blockchain mm-hmm. and uh, and get it into their hands. So, actually, I guess Cash App uh, is is actually more ubiquitous right now for people, but mm-hmm. but I think Coinbase has a better sense of um, what consumers do. So. They're the main entry point as it sits right now for consumers.
0: So uh, it's supposed to be rapid fires, but now, now you got me. Uh, I want to hear your opinion on um, what usually when uh, people ask me this question, I say Facebook and not because uh, of what they've done yet, but whatever yep. they launch is yep. going to hit, you know, could be 2 billion people.
1: Z- right? Bucks or Facecoin? Uh, I like Zuckbucks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but but, but it, it's just it could be the first interaction that, you know, 2 billion people have with blockchains, crypto, whatever token, whether it's one they create or somebody else's. Yep. I mean, we're talking about a pretty important piece of technology and it's the exact same thought process. It's just that interface yep. right? and, and uh, whatever that interface is that most people interact with is going to be important.
1: If anyone from Facebook is listening to it, you know, I, I hope they do it in a decentralized way. I hope they build on the existing infrastructure so we get this network effect on all the the genius people working on this right now, if, if they do something closed off, uh, I'll be sad. I'm
0: gonna go out on a limb. Uh, nope. I, usually, I usually don't uh, comment on uh, future <laughs> future ideas that people may do. Yep. But my guess, right now, I, I work there, so I have a general sense of the in, internal culture. Uh, my guess is very similar to you know when we think about banks. There's plenty of people there who are excited about this technology and they want to apply it, and and maybe there's some people who aren't as excited and so it slows it down as bureaucratic um i bet you there's a lot of people at facebook that are really excited about blockchain technology and crypto uh probably a lot of people who participate in the ecosystem right um and i bet you there's a pretty serious conversation going on you know should it be decentralized or not right there's both sides that are are probably you know going and i'm with you that uh i I think that they're going to do it decentralized good uh, yeah it it just (laughs) it feels like that's the right thing. There's enough people probably, you know, having that conversation. How you do it is hard, right? When you're kind of a for-profit company like that and and you got some shareholders and all that, but uh, it'll be very interesting to see what they come out with.
1: Yeah, I think so. So, All
0: right, Um, what is the one thing that you believe that you think a high majority of other people would disagree with?
1: Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that the I think that the part of, of blockchains that ends up on private architectures, if you go and you know, if you go into the, the enterprise world of blockchain, mm-hmm. which I sit in a lot, uh I, I think almost none of it will end up on that. I, I think what's gonna happen is uh, when people say they want private blockchains, what they're really saying is they want privacy and, and security, um, and maybe some like composability and control. Mm-hmm. And I think the 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 technology is getting to the place where, you know, if you you put your infrastructure on something like Web three cloud, mm-hmm. uh, like I just described with AMD, um, and you know we have zk snarks and starks done, and we have a bunch of the scalability of sidechains done, uh, I think the public architecture, the internet uh, analogized to like Ethereum, is way more powerful than the intranet, and I think mm-hmm. it's mostly going to be on that.
0: Man, I hope you're right. <laughs> I, I, I I hope. Um, all right, if you could change or improve one regulation, what would it be?
1: That's also an interesting question. Uh, I I nice. I'm going. <laughs> I, I might hit 100 percent here. <laughs> so you know, I, just speaking for myself as an individual. Uh, yeah, caveat: this
0: not a financial <laughs> advice. He's speaking for himself. Nothing to do with consensus.
1: <laughs> um, I I think that we have. I think the whole crypto token boom mm-hmm. has demonstrated that there's a market gap for something between securities in a private offering to accredited investors, and you know whether it's the Jobs Act or you know mm-hmm. whatever we can do towards crowdfunding regulations. I don't think those go nearly far enough. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's this huge market gap in between, and we showed that. And even though definitely some people got screwed, and you know the SEC is going after the people who are uh, scam artists, I think that's good. There's there's a market gap in between. If you look at places like like Wyoming right now, actually, mm-hmm. in the last few days, announced a new a new class of financial instrument uh, mm-hmm. that they want to create. Some regulators want to create. I think mean, if you look at some other jurisdictions other than the U.S., they're treating this like token uh, stuff as a, as a completely different class of financial instrument mm-hmm. that needs a new approach, not just applying laws that we wrote in 1930. Um, and and I think. I, I think we should be doing that I, I think we should we should consider how we can make a new framework that captures the power of these things and doesn't slow it down and, and if you look at you know people like Hester Pierce at, at the SEC you know she understands that um uh we don't want to get left behind and and I, and I think we need to understand how our regulations can support entrepreneurs better
0: mm-hmm. i look it, it is um It's very interesting to see how a lot of these regulators, there's some that, you know, really believe and and some who think that the world's ending (laughs) and and, and we we see it too at the federal and state level, right? To, To your point, Hester Pierce, I think the perfect example of the SEC, who she's, been pretty blunt about what she believes. Right. Yep. Um, if you look at, you know, the work that, uh, some of the, uh, the lawmakers and legislators in, um, uh, Wyoming, right. With Caitlin Long and all that. And, and they've been super open to this stuff and, and, uh, yep. want to push it forward. Or you even see, you know, uh, Josh Mandel, uh, treasurer in Ohio, right. Say, Hey, look, yep. bring it on, right. Let's take it for taxes. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, what's the most important book you've ever
1: read? Interesting question as well. Um, the Web of Life by Frischoff-Campra. Kapra. is that? Uh, it's a book about how uh, living systems mm-hmm. are structured mathematically uh, in autopoiesis, which basically means that um, systems that perpetuate themselves mm-hmm. are are good at perpetuating themselves by definition, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at evolution, evolution, um, evolution is basically saying stuff that's good at sticking around tends to stick around (laughs) right it's really no more complicated than that uh and so systems that are designed to stick around stick around crypto you know it's perfect example it's infiltrated our minds and our financial systems and whatever it has a sticking power right and that's the definition of sort of an organism that has sticking power Mm -hmm. i view consensus i view crypto bitcoin ethereum i view these things as organisms Mm -hmm. that viewpoint probably inhabits almost everything that I, I view really structurally about reality and business. And, um, that book is, a is a, is a take on that from a deep scientific and philosophical perspective. And it, it's changed the way I look at reality.
0: Interesting. Uh, do you read, uh, algorithms to live by? I have not. I should read that. It, it's, uh, tangentially related. Um, but it's this whole idea that, you know, algorithms and math and, and how it, uh, it relates to a lot of life is, uh, pretty cool. Um, all right, so I got one more question, non-crypto-related, and then you get to ask me one question before uh, before we end. Um, so I used to ask people if aliens had pets, because right? we, <laughs> uh, we never really think of it that way. But uh, I'm just going to stick with, what is the probability that aliens actually exist? What's the number?
1: Uh, so there's an equation called the Drake equation. Okay, oh, I have uh, not heard about this. All right, here should, we go. You should check it out. And, and it's basically, you know, the number, it makes sense if you think about what it is. It's basically like the number of stars in the universe times, mm-hmm. like, you know, the number that, ha, you know, the number of um, solar systems that seem to have a certain, like, gaseous, mm-hmm. like, characteristic. And then, you know, how many times out of a, you know, in a probability space it would take to make uh, some organic amino acids and mm-hmm. stuff, you know, stuff like that. So this is an equation that people um, uh What's use? the answer? Uh I don't know. It really depends on the inputs, but you know, my real answer is, I think close to hundred percent. Right? I mean, I, I think um, the definition of life, right, is we tend to think is things that are shaped and and sized and move at the same speed as us. But you know, if you look at any system that's good at perpetuating itself, maybe being life, then I think we're deeply inhabited by things all around us that are a bit too fast or too slow or big mm-hmm. or small or made out of stuff that we can't see that are life forms so i think maybe we're just looking in the wrong place
0: it uh i asked this question to every single guest about aliens and you would be shocked at least i'm shocked how many people believe there's aliens <laughs> right like when i was a kid that was not a thing right like, like it was like all right shut up kid right you know one day you'll grow up and, and realize this isn't real I, I mean i believe there's something out there very similar to kind of how you just described right and uh and there's most people who, uh, who have any sort of logical um, path to get there, that's I ask the question, right? It's kind of, what's the logic you use to, to try to determine a probability? Is, uh, it's pretty cool. It's an interesting one.
1: What, uh, what one question do you have for me? So many things. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, what do you think uh, the next most successful company that exists looks like? So
0: Damn it, you're supposed to ask me easy ones <laughs> um, I, I'm going to cheat And I'm probably not going to answer that directly But but I'll answer something uh, close to it So I have yet to see somebody Build an existing Large Financial, financial institution From scratch Utilizing 100% Of all of the kind of work and benefits and, and technology that is in this industry and what i mean by that is kind of like your goldman sachs example earlier right so i don't even know if this is the right approach to get to the end result but i think that starting out as a pure experiment would be very interesting and so if you look at all of the functions of an asset management firm or or a bank and you slowly walk through every single one of them and you say what is the blockchain or crypto solution to that and you just rip out the old and put in the new yep. What does that look like, right? And, and I think the easy answer is like, oh, it's more efficient, right? All that kind of stuff. But what I, what becomes really interesting, I think the CDP is a great example. You can become better at underwriting the risk. You can become much better at recovering the collateral, right, in, in, in loans. Well, what does that look like with equities or with maybe um some sort of um you know income generating or or, or yield generating type assets uh things like on chain um you know equity right where you actually just have like an automated claim on the cash flows of an entity Um, all that stuff is super super interesting um there's people working on pieces of it right so it's not fair to say nobody's working on it but uh there's the unbundling and rebundling and somebody's going to come along and bundle all this stuff up. Maybe they're successful, maybe they're not, but the person who does that, um, they'll have kind of an early, you know, beachhead with the crypto community because they're excited about all this stuff. But if you can do it in a user experience that is attractive to everyday consumers, I think you got a shot to, you know, really kind of change the way that people think about money and how they interact with their financial institutions and stuff. Um, anybody's working on it, I'd love to talk to him. <laughs> but
1: yeah. Well, you know, now that you say that, I, I think maybe I formulated the question poorly because I said the word company, right? And, mm-hmm. and maybe it's not a company. A Completely. company can only articulate itself at the speed of pieces of paper and boardrooms mm-hmm. and, and votes on decision making. But maybe it's a set of smart contracts, logic, mm-hmm. some human, some not. Making decisions faster and with higher complexity than a company ever could.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we. Uh, um, I probably shouldn't say who it is, but but somebody uh, who, who I find incredibly intelligent um, gave me this uh, kind of thought-provoking statement. They said, "What if uh, the companies of the futures aren't companies, but they're air traffic controllers?" Yeah right and kind of what you're describing of just you basically create some infrastructure and you're sitting there just directing right yep. and, and you've kind of done it in a predefined way or a rules based way um, again I don't know if that's necessarily the answer but but it's it's interesting to think about um, and uh, there's probably some potential there whether it's you know 100% that way or, or a piece of it
1: there's no reason a human or set of humans needs to be at the top of that thing
0: we, uh, we I, I tweeted yesterday and I uh, I had both the positive and negative benefits of Twitter come after me um, (laughs) that I said uh, algorithms over humans. Right. (laughs) And, you know, I I full well understand that there's a ton of uh, negative side effects and and kind of dangers. Right. With that stuff. Um, but, But I do tend to lean towards this idea that most of what you and I do, we're pretty dumb. Right, and as humans, uh, machines are better at us. They don't get tired. They're not biased. Right, the repetition and, and they're smarter and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but but also, um, we are limited by our intelligence, and machines happen to not only be more intelligent, but they can actually learn. now. Yep. And, and and so if we can uh, start to apply some of that stuff, I think that you know you really start to accelerate uh, innovation. You start to accelerate um, all kinds of you know different industries. We just need really smart people working on it, right? And and so uh, that that's the uh, the other piece of this is like what needs to occur for all of this to come to fruition. And the two things that you know we've come to mind for me is like we need time because you got to write code, right? You got to do this stuff. Uh, but two is you know I I think that we've kind of taken our eye off the ball of uh, intelligent people, right? Intellectual capital coming into the space. Seventeen, we got kind of the first wave of you know the people who probably aren't the know anarchist type that are going to be you know 2011 2012 bitcoiners um then you've got some people in the middle there who are more computer science right than the kind of 13 to 16 In 17 it was the first time that you know you really saw bankers leave a banking job and kind of come in right or you you saw kind of the non-technical silicon valley folks hey you know what i want to go do this and dedicate my career to do it um but we need that to persist right and it's probably slowed down a little bit because price and the hype and all that but uh if we can ramp that back up i think um those are the things that really matter in the kind of long-term sustainability
1: i agree so long long blockchain and long humans (laughs) <laughs> sure. It would be really bad if I started saying long humans, short bankers. <laughs>
0: right. The only thing I'll leave you with is: Have you ever seen? Uh, uh, the, and I should caveat this too. I actually think that you know Goldman Sachs is incredibly intelligent. They've obviously you know one of the best in the world at what they do. Um, but have you ever seen uh, one of the, uh, the octopus things, like right? the Federal Reserve and, and uh, all these people say about the, the banks and yeah, everything? I have seen um, that. It, it, it is uh, long humans, short the bankers. <laughs> <laughs> All enough. right, man. Listen, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for coming. This is awesome. Uh, we'll have to uh, do it again uh, as you guys kind of keep going.
1: Thanks so much, man. Yeah, really cool. Thank you. All right,
0: All right guys. I appreciate you listening to that episode. I enjoyed it, and I hope you did too. Before we go, I want to remind you that it was brought to us by The Grove, a full-service creative and design agency that has worked with companies like Block, Chamber of Digital Commerce, AAA, and the American Red Cross. You can check out more of their work at thegrove.co backslash Pomp. Again, that's .co and not .com. thegrove.co backslash Pomp. Go check it out and let me know what you think. Hey, everyone. Pomp here. If you like this episode of Off The Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.